Morning, good afternoon. It's a different day of the week for the KG Fifth World Wildcat and Doc podcast. We're probably going to have one on in a few days as well to tie up a few things we don't get a chance to come discuss in today's podcast. But I'm KG. My colleagues, buddies, and friends, cohorts are gentlemen. How are you doing? I am the Wildcat, and I'm doing pretty good this day. Uh, how was Christmas for everyone? Related, well, well. related. Blessing Still eating food from Christmas. Yes. Yeah, it was good, good, good eat, good treat. So, what's on everybody's mind today that hadn't been already discussed offhand that we can talk about amongst the public? First things first, if y'all don't mind, uh, y'all want to talk about football first, or we going to talk about it, Todd Buchanan? We can go to Todd Buchanan because that, that, uh, one of my subscribers, Lord bless him, he's been paying attention, as I said, a lot more than I have. He's already submitted a name of uh, the uh, head women's basketball coach at uh, UTEP. And I think it's a, a hot topic that we need, particularly for this region, in terms of how you just discussed how the basketball program was not going in a strong direction. So I think this is an appropriate time to go ahead and... So a little, little backstory here. Um, last Friday, Rice, you ready to play, you ready to play at Rice. And surprisingly, one surprised me and the Wildcat. Yes. In the manner in which they won. Um, and then post-game, Wildcat and I both had there for the post-game interview, uh, post-game videos on my YouTube channel and Wildcat's YouTube channel. Um, and in that, Coach Buchanan said how it was big to get the win, big to beat your city rival, all these glowing things, glowing comments. He's proud of his his player's performance gave no indication None. that he, well, of what was about to happen. Saturday afternoon, I'm at Toyota Center getting ready for the Dickies shootout between the men, Rice and U of H. And, and I get a text from yes. one of my buddies saying Buchanan has resigned. And I'm like, what the hell? So I go uh, to Twitter and the Chronicles, Joseph Duarte, who covers both Rice and U of H, Athletics tweeted it, and then the school sent out released that Ty Buchanan has resigned as U of H women's basketball coach, citing personal reasons and wanted to spend more time with his family. I don't know all the details, so I will not speculate too much about what happened, but there is more to this story than has been made public. Now, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought, and I'm gonna just, but I'm going to segue into this. What was your first reaction when you heard it? Was it more of what the program is and I'm in over my head? Or was it, wow, didn't see this coming, at least at this point? I didn't see it coming. I didn't, because Todd is not the person, the type of guy, type of person to quit, which led me to think it was his health, something's wrong with his health or his wife's health or his dad's health. So, that was my main concern there, and I tried to contact him and left him a message. He hasn't responded to that. Um, because conference play starts this weekend, December 28th, Saturday. Cougars host UCF in the first conference game in the American Athletic Conference. So the timing of it was suspicious. I got tweet, direct tweet, minutes after I retweeted Ghost's article about the resignation from people. What's going on with U of H? What's going on 
asking for my input. I got great tweets. I got phone calls. I got texts. So, but from what I found out, what I knew, and it's ironic, Friday of the, of the game, I had heard a few things and problems going on with the program. And then Saturday, I hear about the resignation. So, I am not sure if Todd resigned or if Todd was asked to resign. So, I'll leave it at that. Later Saturday evening, I got some more texts from a few coaches asking me if, if I thought they had a shot at the job. These coaches, I think, would be great hires uh, for U of H, and including UTEP coach. That adds another one to the mix. I got a new name on Christmas afternoon about another person who I did not know, who I don't know personally. These folks who text me, I know personally. The name I got Wednesday is someone that I don't know personally. So these are very, these are names that I think would be good fits for the school. But it comes down to this. I need to get the quote. Wildcat, you know where I'm going with this. It comes down to what the administration wants to do. If they want to stick around and be Rudy, let's see, how can I say this nicely? Well, also Rands at best in conference bas- in women's college basketball. Reference it with they the, stick with the status quo. If they want to become relevant and top 25 in women's college basketball, then hire some of the folks that I've been talking to and suggested. What would your gut say that which direction you think they're going to go? Sadly, I think they're going to stick around with status quo and suck. That's sadly. And that's where my mindset is also. Only because of the committee that put this hire together is basically the same committee that's in charge now. So So you have the same thought process. Right. I want to speak to Mac Rhodes, the AD, find out where his head's at. Because when Tybee Cannon was named head coach, Mac was on, was doing the job for months. So he he let people who were already at U of H make more of a decision, have more input in the decision process than he did. So hopefully... Lay of the land at that time. So right. So hopefully now that times, years have passed and he sees how things go, and hopefully President Couture has a different... Because she expects to win. She says it on the football side, basketball side. She is said on the men's basketball side. She has said that she wants to win. So I want to know if that's what she thinks on women's basketball side because none of us are here are naive enough to believe that the Cougars are going to become UConn overnight. But UConn is the flagship in women's college basketball nationally. They are a conference member. They are the reason. They are the bar is way up high. They are who every women's college basketball yes, team could aspire right to. Period. So that's where I, I would like to see them aspire to. Because if you aspire to be UConn, you'll be good enough to compete year in, year out. Meaning you will become Notre guess, Dame and, and Louisville. I guess my framework would be right here in Texas, looking at uh, Texas A&M. And, and Baylor, Baylor that, that's fine too. Yeah. Championship. What is the likelihood that they could uh, make that run in for me, even a more important question, if they do set up over a 10-year period and hire the right coach and make the commitment financially to get there, will that program be able to generate revenue if the, if they land amongst 
uh, a situation where they're similar to Texas A&M. Doc, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. Because when Coach Mulkey first got that job and made it to the Final Four, in the pregame interviews, she mentioned about the conversation that she had with the president uh, of the university at that time was Dr. Robert Sloan that's at HBU right now, and others that were concerned about where the athletic program was at at that point, and they wanted to overall totally change the atmosphere on campus, not to, to, to uh, just compete, but to start winning. The end result was she asked basically the same question that a friend of uh, KG's asked, are you ready mentally and financially prepared to take the program to a winning situation, meaning facilities down the road, scholarships, um, better access for for uh, for the, the the female student athletes on campus. Right. And her answer was to us as the media, basically saying they gave me the answer that I needed. And that's why I took the job at Baylor. It wasn't because of her connection with Sonya Hogue at the time. It was it had more to do with her commitment. Her, her commitment to winning, her coming from leaving from Louisiana Tech. Right. Uh, and in the process, knowing that Leon Balmore was in the process of getting ready to to retire from and I that only, job could, could have uh, been her. I only put the framework on that because there's one thing that's unique, fortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, when you look at Texas A&M, and Baylor is that they have the revenue associated with being in the Big 12 and Big 12 being a BCS financial member. Uh, obviously, UConn is u- unique in the framework that, you know, they kind of group. If you look at it from a business platform, I would say UConn's uniqueness is that they were basically when women's basketball, in my opinion, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, started to really kind of change directions and move in it. They were basically first to, to the market, as we talk about in the marketing platform. I'm glad you dis- you're discussing that. Um, <clears throat> current, Hartford current beat writer, John Altavilla. John, I, I apologize if I'm pronouncing your last name. It's A-L-T-A-V-I-L-L-A, so it could be Altavilla, Spanish, or Altavilla for the Anglos. <clears throat> Wrote an article because I talked about conference play. Um, it's beginning. That's who we are now. And uh, there's no question that UConn is is so far ahead of everybody else in the top 25. Exactly. Let alone their fellow American Athletic Conference members. So now that conference we, play is about to start. Yes, we're going to talk about that too, real quick. When yeah. We talked about um, them being a fraud, as you text out. But yeah, I said Duke is a fraud. I sure did. But kudos to Duke for bouncing back and winning at Kentucky this past Sunday in front of twenty three thousand fans. Kentucky, twenty three thousand fans. Top, top five, great. Kentucky on the road. Twenty thousand fans. That's okay. Most, most people. That's good. That's okay. Attending a women's basketball game in the state of Kentucky. So kudos Not to them. But oh yeah, okay. I, I, but I uh, John's article you know, has quotes from Gino just was prior to the season about. Um, Gino remembers how years ago people did not think the Big East was going to be worth a damn. Right. With UConn in it. And their teams, members raised up their commitment to women's athletics, women's basketball, the talent, facilities, everything. 
and you see Notre Dame and all those other conference members improve in basketball. True. And he hopes to, he believes that the same thing can happen in the American over time. You didn't say it can happen overnight, no, I but over time. I would disagree, respectfully disagree from this framework. I think that there's some changes in the landscape that make it more difficult to recreate what took place with the Big East to what is trying to take place in America now. Oh, no no doubt. And one of the things, and to keep this changed to statewide in Texas, SMU has a new facility. Moody College is the renovated, remodeled. So the SMU women's basketball program is ahead of U of H women's basketball now. U of H is at the bottom compared to everybody else mm-hmm. in the conference in terms of commitment facilities. They already talk about U of H breaking ground and finally going to remodel Hoffine and then add a basketball facility for men's women's basketball, but that's probably two years away at the earliest because they haven't finalized money and then broken ground on it. So those things are there. But there's a quote from the associate commissioner of the American, Danielle Donahue. Mm-hmm. And her quote says, and we met her, she came to a U of H game, non-conference game, but old months ago, Wildcat myself met her. And I, I was glad, she, she knew who I was. So I was glad she knew, knew my name, knew the round bar review. So that, that was a good thing. I, I, yep. I'm proud of that. Her quote, I've made my rounds, been to every campus already within the conference. I sense a great commitment from the athletic directors around the league. There will always, always be room to grow just like any situation and in every family. The challenge is to be able to pull everyone together in a united way so we can create a special experience for the student athletes and the fans who watch them play. Like Go back to, that sounds great, doesn't it? But she says she senses, she senses a great commitment from the ADs around the league. Really? I'm focused on one school in particular. My school, my alma mater, U of H. Great commitment of what? Because they had a great commitment, they wouldn't have tolerated the downward spiral of women's basketball in the last four years. It is, it is gone completely down. You can <laughs> say whatever you want to about Todd getting to the team to the first round of the NCAA tournament with, with Joe Curl's players. And, and my, and they my were all seniors. They were seniors. Seen, seen the lane team. And so was she referring to women's basketball or all sports in general? I, well, she's, I, I choose to believe she was referencing Women's basketball. Because and, she's a, okay. But, but, I mean, she's a, she's associate, aide, associate director of a women's right. sport. So she probably was making a general comment, but I'm going to go specifically because it's about UConn women's basketball. So who knows? And, and part of the other thing was, she didn't re- actually introduce herself until the, uh, press conference was over. To the post, uh, the post presser was over. So we didn't know who she was. Well, I knew who she was. I knew who she was. I met her before. She was, you know, this person that was standing to the side. And she sat there and was doing a, a being observant. Uh, to everything that was going on, you know how many right. to, to, to how many questions, you know how long it how long it went, what was the seriousness of the question, the, the Q and A situation was interactive, and how many press uh, press people were there. I'll end it on this framework. Is there, and I think this is a better way to look at it because I'm not convinced financially that the, the way things are changing in this new landscape. And the power structure that I think is going to change that we kind of talked about on the last podcast with the NCA powers that be and how they're trying to, uh, in my opinion, really consolidate sure. uh, the strengths of those involved in outcast. And right now, U of H and the American Conference, as well as the Mountain West, 
unfortunately for them, on the outside of this five conference because they already reduced to a six. Right. And they strategically, I don't care what anybody says, <laughs> expanded such that they eliminated one, which means that's one less mouth to feed when you look at this financial money pot. So I think they're going in this direction, which gets me to this question. Um, is there enough talent essentially in the state of Texas that with that financial landscape coming that you still can get the talent because essentially Texas A&M, Texas, Baylor, even Texas Tech or whatever, we throw those out there. Throw in some Oklahoma and now maybe some LSU uh, filtering and getting some kids like we always see Arkansas for just, just to give you a framework. Is there enough talent in Texas in terms of women's basketball that will still allow another program that is outside of these mega institutions, for a lack of better terms, in terms of the mega conferences, if you will, to allow U of H or maybe SMU to filter upwards? Yes. No. Yes, with the well, right hire. have two different mm-hmm. With answers. the right hire, yes. Say why? I believe, I believe so with the right Say hire, why? yes. Okay. Why do you believe, why do you believe with the right hire, that there's enough talent that allows because them. the right hire would take some of the talent from those from Texas A&M and Baylor and bring in the U of H. Yeah. Because I, I, this particular no. person has already done. And that. the reason I'm saying no is basically because of what has transpired right now. And even with the right hire, it's still going to take time. It, it's just going to take time. The other thing is, it's not it's, the style of play in that division. Is not conclusive, uh, cohesive to what they, uh, to what the high schools play here in the state of Texas. Um, and that's only because of what I'm seeing, whether on the, in the side, uh, in the stands, or on the floor as a, as, a, as an official. Okay. Um, and people, I've heard a lot of parents and a lot of coaches, both summer league and high school coaches, kind of wince when they start talking about playing in that, in that league, only because of what they see. Up close, it's 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 a lot harder, and uh, a lot harder style of basketball, especially for women, mm-hmm. and it's refereed pretty much different. Uh, it's not a lot of whine, whining and crying, you know. It's, you get it, you you get out and you play, and and that's it. You don't have, they don't have time to be standing around uh, talking to the officials or yak yak. And with just with that being said. Just for my eyes, I'm saying no. It's going and it, it and I what what uh, KG mentioned. It's just gonna take time, and that person is gonna have to convince some kids to stay and play in that style, rather than move over to the Big Twelve or to the SEC. It comes down to your point about what uh, Kim Mulkey said. The new coach. A winning coach, a coach from an established program, be an assistant coach, or by some chance a head coach, will have to be convinced that the University of Houston wants to get into the business of women's basketball. Going to facilities, going to uh, little things, whatever. I agree with that, but I guess my question. And I'm not, and honestly, if that answer is no, if I find out that answer is no, if I'm not convinced of that answer, the folks who contact me on Saturday, yeah, I tell them point blank, don't come here. I agree with you. Don't waste your time coming here. Wait for a better job. And I, I would tell them that point blank. 
but with the new football facility, aren't they trying to make that commitment? Do you think that's just football? I don't know that. I mean, they're they're set to do basketball facilities as well I, for men's, men's women's basketball. I just don't know if it can happen as fast because you don't have. And the reason I say that most of this money that allows you to do and this is just from my study and research suggests that most of the money associated with allowing institutions to grow the academic arms and what I call or what is out there called the arms race is the money associated with the television. With TV, right. And they so were conference and affiliation is not allowing to have it. No question. U of H was counting on that money from the Big East. Exactly. Oh, we we had alums, I mean, just calculating the, the $10 million, you know, almost per and, year. Yeah. To spend on facilities, to spend on uh, on academics and little things around campus, yeah. that money's gone. And I think uh, U of H still has a strong enough alumni to galvanize themselves to generate some significant revenue to get some things done they want. And I'm not sure if it'll happen as fast as if it would if you had the television money associated with it. Right. It can it can happen. It will take time. Uh, but it don't sound like you. A patient. person. Well, I'm patient. I'm patient if I'm convinced. If I'm, oh, no. I've been, I mean, good grief. I've been alone for 20 years, so I've been patient this long. But I just right. want to like know. I just want to be convinced that they want to do what it takes to be in the business of women's basketball. And you have to get lucky. Program the program has to get lucky. Oh, that's that's, that's part point. of it, too. That's part of it as well. The program, athletic program. You have to put that in there. It has to be a bit of a bottle. And and segue into what both of you all just said, I remember what uh, coaches mentioned last the other week uh, at at, uh, UT about Mac Brown. They all have to be committed to working with each other in recruiting. The the crossover lines have to happen. Between football, basketball, baseball, track and field, it's got to work. I've because seen, right. I've seen that too many, even too, too many coaches that 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 basically made comments last week all said the same thing. If we wanted to sell this program and we couldn't get it done, we called Matt and bright him, you know, bright the kid up and take him over to the office and set him down and then walk out. Well, this is the same framework, and and why I really wanted to set us going in this direction. I have two more issues that I wanted to get into. Go ahead. Uh, since we're kind of in this middle of this break, transition from football to basketball. Uh-huh. Um, there's a similar framework of an article that really focuses on HBCU, which is kind of right back in my wheelhouse. If you allow me to kind of spend the uh, Go ahead. conversation in that direction. But who are you, sir? I'm Dr. Kenyatta-Caville, professor at Texas Southern University, uh, right here in Houston. Third Ward, Texas, baby. So um, I'm known as the sports professor, professor of sports management. I write many articles, research articles that deal with sports management, particularly the HBCU framework. Also, obviously, as you can see, uh, now cover HBCU sport in all sports uh, with the poll um, in terms of top 10, major and minor division in regards to that. Uh, in terms of uh, the major and mid-major level, I should say, HBCU top 10 list and rankings, I do those kind of things. But what I wanted to get to is there's a coach called Billy Joe. He's actually a graduate of Villanova out of the Big East, interesting enough to kind of show you that tie there. But he's spent most of his time coaching at HBCUs uh, in the sport of football. Uh, he was tremendous in what he did with Central State. 
Okay. He actually, which was an NIA institution now that has transitioned to NCAA Division II, and recently became a member of the Division II SIAC as a football-only member, uh, kind of being out there as a transition from the NIA. Um, they had got caught up uh, and actually had to stop the football program over a period of time, similar to what we kind of seen down the street with Prairie View. Mm-hmm. Theirs was less about uh, institutionalized and then in terms of uh, rules violations. But he won championships, national championships in the NIA football tournament. Okay. He won, obviously, HBCU championships by doing that. Uh, su- succeeded, went and left and went to FAMU. HBCUs just frankly have not had much success in what we deem the playoff. Right. Over the, years. right. Uh, the SWAC has never won a game since the formation of 1979 to the playoffs. Uh, there were some pre playoff things that took place where they won. You go all the way back to the first time ever HBCU played in a NIA sanctioned playoffs. You had Prairie View that won the semifinals game and then lost in the championship game historically wise in football. So just to give you those references, obviously fam you won at the uh FCS level when they first introduced uh one double A if you would, going from the small to big colleges and changing them. So they've won at that level. But outside of that, the SWAC has never won a game. The FAMU is, uh, I mean, the MEAC has been, like, atrocious over losing the last 18 games, if you would. And some of these games have been atrocious. The reason I say this, Billy Joel pretty much writ, wrote a open letter titled, My Reason Why Copious Numbers of Black College Football Teams Perform Atrociously in the Playoffs Each Year. It is mostly caused by transformational racial trends resulting in insufficient talent, not racist behavior. And I thought that was really interesting. He goes through a long summary that kind of plays on that title, and obviously for time's sake, won't read everything there. But I thought it was interesting that you have this same dichotomy playing off, not only in terms of the American U of H locally, uh, but same here with TSU, Prairie View, trying sure. to decide the trends of, you know, how do they make their program more friendly to the community and uh, become regionally, nationally, whether it's HBCU, really they want to trend outside of that. There's questions about HBCU deciding to move from the FCS level to the FBS level, trying not to be left behind. How realistic is that? I've actually did a study for the president right here, uh, Dr. John Rudley, in regards to a move in that platform. I just wanted to get your viewpoint in terms of, and I'll make one more statement so you can give your viewpoint, is that he suggests that what many people call force integration or assimilation over a period of time, a term that I tend to use more often, going back to the 1950s, obviously with African-American athletes really not having much of a choice. Right. But the fact that uh, America's dichotomy doesn't really have a lot of European and or white Americans coming to HBCUs to play sports and they tend to gravitate if they're not able to play at the FBS level because you have 60-70% whether you're talking about football uh, playing, African-American playing at Florida State if you would Texas, but the uh, European players that are great that played at Texas are now going to places like Villanova Towson that is playing in the semifinals championship. Obviously, North Dakota State right. that is going for a three-peat. 
in terms of people understand that we do cover and do understand all of it. We may look through a lens to focus on certain things, but we are, are regionally located, but nationally respected. Correct. Uh, in terms of our platform, but let me get to the point of this uh, so y'all can really answer the question. Do you see that as a an excuse uh, for HBCUs having a problem in the playoffs, particularly the MEAC, uh, because they're the ones that get the automatic bid and have played, is the fact that African American players that played HBCUs, obviously FBS, I think that's almost a given, but the fact that you don't have European American players uh, going to HBCUs, they tend to go to these other FCS colleges if they're not able to go to the FBS. So even your second tier players. Yeah. It's it's a complicated answer and probably has a little bit to do with each of those factors you mentioned. Uh talent. The talent just isn't at HBCUs you know, whether they're African American, European American, it's just not the same. Right. For whatever reason. Um I'd be kind of curious to know why the European Americans white boys, why they don't come to, to TSU or why they choose to go to North Dakota State, for example, rather than a TSU or a Prairie View or a Southern or what reason, you know, even if they are from the area. Yeah, he said just one thing um, and you can play on this. And I'm but you get in here. Yeah. Black college football programs have not been successful, which is what you said in recruiting talented white football players, and he believes because of the stereotypical racial climate in the country. For that reason, white athletes are not receptive at this time to enrolling into black colleges in mass numbers. Uh, therefore, the reciprocity paradigm is very unbalanced against black college football programs. Black college football programs are losing their traditional black talent, but are not receiving white players to counter that loss. Or other ethnic groups to replace the loss of black talent. Now, I, I, this is not all the way out there in in in, in the far universe, but <clears throat> when Peter Richardson was at at Southern, wasn't that one of the complaints that was kind of like banded about about his recruitment of white players in the area to? Come to Southern because he was looking for football players rather than a certain color. Yeah, and, but and, he, he couldn't he couldn't get them now at mass numbers. And and basically, but the reason I mention that is because what has transpired in the HBCUs as far as non-revenue sports, baseball and golf, like baseball and golf, all of a sudden those programs now have started to take off on that level and compete. Where they weren't before, well, I put it like this: it, it was a time that they did compete back when I was a kid, but that was has been a big gap, and now that gap has started to close because of the scholarships uh, that's out there. I I, I think is I think is the gap was so big that I think it has started to close, but I don't. And think only, uh, but the only reason I look at win loss record. The only reason I'm saying that is because the scholarship limitations uh, it, it, have basically designated that. Parents have said, "Look, I agree with you. find a place that's offering you some money, some money, yeah, and take it because 
well, you and I have both mentioned this before, 13 and a half scholarships in baseball is 13 and a half scholarships. Yeah. And folks, that is split amongst 25 to 35 kids over a season. And you hope that somewhere along the way, your kid moves from that quarter all the way to a full. I, I, I can get your point. I think you're right on it because I think that's one reason why you bring in a dynamic coach, as you're talking about U of H, um, over there at Winston-Salem State. And you see he's able to go all the way to the semifinals, you know, his mm-hmm. third, fourth year there. Right. Um, finals the year before last, and mm-hmm. right back to the playoffs this year. Carnell Maynard is the name I'm speaking of that just recently took the helm at Hampton. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it brings to your point that a lot of people don't look at also is the dichotomy of uh, scholarship limit. Right. You know, he was at the 33 limit. And so the lower that you reduce the scholarship, the easier it is to create that paradigm where HBCUs can participate. But as long as you start to increase that scholarship number, it gets more difficult because now you're getting into some of the discussion Billy Joe was talking about, that you need to have those mass numbers. Right. If you don't get those mass numbers, it gets harder, which, again, goes back to what you talked about with U of H. Uh, if you're going to play at that level, whether it's football or basketball, men's and women's, uh, you better have those facilities because you're starting to get in that game where the numbers count in terms of scholarships and getting those players in. It's, it, it's a it's a balance that, you know, I, I'm not a product of an HBCU, but I spend a lot of time yeah, with HBCU. We appreciate you coming. So um, we want, we, as people of color, want to win. Period. Period. But I think there's still a large number of us who only want to win with people who look like us. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And and I understand part of that, you know, well, historical, historical, you know, that's what we were, we're HBCUs. We won with us for years. We want to still win with us going forward. But and I think a lot of that comes from the older generation. Yes. Uh, to just pinpoint a, a segment of the ethnic. Makeup, uh, and a lot of that is also is just the historical framework of how they were treated in sure. America. I, so oh, long, I, I which we can respect that, and I respect that definitely. Uh, and so but, we're not ignoring that. But your point, I think, is an excellent one. And years ago, I, I mean, not that long ago, but years ago, Josh Pastner wanted was interested in the head coaching job. Where here on the campus of Texas Southern University and Prairie, and that's true, but. We started out right here on campus. And, and but both schools were not ready. Weren't ready and some weren't willing. Flat you out. Said, no, you said they were not ready. Well, uh, well here it all it boiled down to the alumni was just like, oh no. No, yeah. No, I, the, the, and I don't I, that's why I said but because they were not ready, whether right. it was alumni, athletic administration, or presidential level leadership. We're not ready to make that commitment. And you can this is a this came up just not too long ago when you talk about Alcorn State. Sure. And the hiring oh, yeah. of the first European or white, whichever term you like to use, head coach in the SWAC. And there were many alums, many professors. There were even a guy that spoke up that was a president of Arkansas Baptist College and wow. talked about the fact that he thought it was difficult in I think some of them have an interesting premise. You know, it's since passed such far that he made the run, but they were questioning um, 
really his his background because he never had head coaching experience. And maybe they were hit, hating really other ideologies, yeah, sure, yeah. but they used that as a quick reference. But he made the comparison, and he says that as an ethnic group, we're one of the first to allow other individuals to take advantage of opportunities when they don't do the same reciprocity as he said in this article uh, in terms of allowing uh, head coaches of and that's a non-HBCU le- That's program. a legit point. I mean, you know, the the, the big-time programs are very, very slow in giving, hell, interviewing people of color. Yeah, and you spoke out on it. On, uh, Which is for head coaching jobs. So, and I understand that, but two wrongs don't make a right. Okay, if we want to be the better person, bigger person, whatever you want to call it, and we interview Caucasian, European Americans, white men and women, depending on the on the sport, and we if we interview uh, the whole plethora, plethora of ca- qualified candidates, keyword, and then it happens. That's what happens at the most qualified, best suited person for the job does not look like us. Then we're going to hire, or we should hire. And we, as the university and alums, need to support them, rally around them, and help them win because they are going to represent the institution. And most of them who have any sense, first of all, they would not have applied for the position without realizing what they were getting themselves into and without realizing the history of the program that they are applying for the job. So they would not be fools to insult the history of that school and everything that that school has stood for for 100 years. So we fail to realize that we have to, if we want change, sometimes we have to make change. That's true. We can't wait for other folks to hire us. We can't wait for other folks to give us a chance. If we get a chance in a position to make a hire, we got to do it ourselves, whoever the most qualified person is for that job. I can't worry about other folks not giving me a shot because if I did that, I would have to use around Barbie. It wouldn't be here twenty years strong. No, we had a podcast. So you know, we had a podcast. So we sometimes you just gotta suck it up yourself, and go. pull your pants up, and get done for yourself. I agree. Well said. And the final thing, I'll just end this part of the discussion because I think you illuminated a great skill set there. I'll just share his final because I think it covers it and says a lot. And anybody that wants this information. Can uh, tweet me or send me an email at kcaville at thg-agency.com if they want a copy of this uh, particular write up. I think it's very intriguing on many different levels. But finally, he says, finally, and in conclusion, I was a head coach for 34 years at four different black colleges. The altruistic side of me made it imperative to make intensive assessment of black colleges' performances in the playoffs because this present trend is an anomaly that will not last forever. I've come to realize that there is no mystery, mystique, magic, or riddle wrapped up in an enigma as to why some teams are as successful while others are an abject failure. In most cases, the team with the best football players will win the games most of the time. I've yet to see an outstanding football coach win consistently with untalented football players. With that being said, black college football programs have a dilemma with many favorable options confronting them with this football abyss. No option is foolproof because the protracted trends are forever changing and metamorphosing 
themselves into something different year in, year out. But above all, black college football programs can't be moored to the past, and they can't be marooned in the present about this watershed event. All the same, they must maintain their steady moral and ethical football compass while on the cups of searching for solutions to this complicated and problematic trend. Wow, that's outstanding. Man, that's what an a intelligent profound, black man right there. A I profound like that, statement. And that was written by Billy Joe, again, a retired football coach that coached with Profound. And you can, profound. You can, you can tell he's educated, and you can tell he's thought, he thought about gentleman that. as yeah. well. He thought about that. No knock on the generation under us. Hell, some of the, in our and generation and now, and beyond some of us are not as educated as our peers. peers. So kudos to that. And I would, yeah, send me that. I want a copy of that for sure. Yeah. Um, Wildcat, yes. wrap it up pretty quickly here. How can folks find you, sir? You can find me on the social media platforms all over the place pretty much. Um, Yahoo, uh, not Yahoo, I'm sorry. Um, Something just came up you on Yahoo Sports. Yeah. No, about you too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because it's it's coming. It's coming. Um, YouTube, Twitter, blog spot, uh, a blogger, AKSV ZCSR. You can also find the College Sports Report in the online website, paper, uh, print. Um, Internet issue of a kingsizeview.com. The new issue is due out this week. Matter of fact, uh, either tomorrow or Sunday, uh, Mr., uh, the king and I will be headed to Dallas to put this, the papers out at the stores. Matter of fact, a week ago tomorrow, uh, we went up there and did a uh, community affairs uh, event in the in the neighborhood, um, and I'll have further information on that coming in. Uh, because that group will be coming down to, to Houston to, to put one on in February. Matter of fact, it's February 22nd. And I'll have more information. Oh, that you can't come to town and destroy the U of H women's basketball by well, 100. Well, a lot of praying will be done that weekend. So <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That, I tell you, it's working hand in hand, folks. It's working hand in hand. <laughs> a lot of praying. It's going to take a lot of, a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. It's going to take a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. A lot of prayer, a lot of singing, a lot of gospel. But uh, and invite folks, him to Hawthorne, though. If you don't mind, there'll be, be, no, be no plenty of seats. No, plenty of no, seats available. We laughing at this, folks. But oh, you can remember on last week, KG and I, we just basically throwed it out there. If Duke didn't compete, it was going to be you, the train. All, would be, all three of us said it wouldn't be close. I had the lowest <laughs> margin of victory for UConn, and I called, but it wasn't close. And, and I yeah, basically and it, it was right there in our book. And, and I, I would I convinced uh, my publisher, the, the King, to. Hold off one day and give me until <laughs> the next day to write that up. I wrote up a little about a paragraph or two paragraphs on <laughs> on the issue, folks. What you saw last week was an unhealthy, not full team. UConn Huskies, when they roll in, by the time they roll in the town here at Hawthorne in Houston, Texas, and make this run through the state of Texas at SMU, it's gonna be an ugly sight because the intention is gonna be. You just coming in. We gonna let you know who runs, runs this. this, and that's gonna be the that, that's the mission. And as KJ and I have have dreaded this day coming next April in 2014, number nine will be picked as, up because I a, just don't see anybody as a, better. As a as successful a, coach had once said around this area, one Cynthia Cooper, when she was coaching 
just even Prairie View down there playing Texas Southern before she took over here and ran into a championship. Uh, after years with the Houston Commerce and doing their thing at USC, she quoted and said, I don't want them to ever think that they on our level can beat us. So she beat them down. It sounds like this kind of oh, thought process. Now, now, Gina will tell you to your face, <laughs> doesn't care. I was like, wow, all right, cool. Made me nervous. <laughs> you know, he'll basically tell you, we're not coming in to just, you know, show up. That's not who we are. If I decide I want all 12 on how many on the, on the bench is traveling to play. We're going to play to that level in the first half and get us to that point. And minimal, it'll be five minutes worth of work. Out of everybody. Am, I, am, I, am I joking? No, no. And, and let me say this wow. real quick. Well, go ahead. Doc, I want you to wrap it up for your side. Then I'm, I'm going to okay. wrap it up. We'll wrap it up because a uh, great show, and we'll have to bring on that interesting twist as you bring back coming back from Dallas in the championship. We'll tie that in on our next podcast oh, as yeah. we start to yeah. end the year uh, on a beautiful note. And uh, I appreciate the time to have that conversation. There's another article that we have to also bring our attention to that talks about NFL scoring rise and parallels where you had Greg Easterbrook uh, actually tie in the uh, high school playoffs and some of the scores that you will illustrate talking about these championship games that was on Fox Sports and tying in to the pervasiveness of African Americans playing these sports at those numbers, but not doing very well in terms of graduation numbers when they are playing at the next level and not graduating, which ties into uh, a Dr. Sean Harper over there at Penn University of Pennsylvania in a study he did with black male student athletes and racial inequalities in the NCAA Division One college and sports. So we're gonna hit you with knowledge on it, all sides, but you can find me if you want some of answer some of these tw- tough questions or get in some great debate, dialogue, however you want to see it, you can hit me up at kcaville at thg-agency.com. I'm on the uh, social media platforms under Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. That is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. Also, you can see me on the College Sporting News when I do my HBCU Top 10 reports and a weekly report. On the college sporting news, obviously that's starting to close out. But you can follow me on Onadon as well as TSPN Sports as we move into basketball, men's and women's with the major and mid-major poll, top 10 poll rankings coming out uh, at the uh, beginning of January. And then we'll transition to baseball to keep this going. And then in the summertime, when it really gets slow to some other people, we take it to another level. And that's when I start talking about the business side of sports. Oh, I can't wait, Doc. I can't wait. And I'm KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. Quickly, a couple of basketball notes on uh, TSU side. Kudos to uh, Eric Murray, Texas Southern big man leading, and the Tigers coach Mike Davis and the basketball team for their big win. 90-89 road win at Temple uh, last week on, was it 18th? Yes. December 18th, 48 and 8. Eric Murray scored 48 points, 8 rebounds, was 20 of 28 from the field, was named Player of the Week in the SWAC, obviously, and then <laughs> National Player of the Week on many obviously. levels, including Wildcat and myself. And I think Doc now is also a member of the United States yes, Basketball Writers Association. So uh, he was a National Player of the Week. The honor is named after the big O, Oscar Robertson. So shout out to Eric Murray. I tweeted him the link to uh, his honor. He retweeted it. So, kudos to him for that. Swack play is about to start up. Commerce play is about to start up on the U of A's men's side. The fellas play Connecticut on New Year's Eve, 8 o'clock. 
a couple hours after the U.S. women lose, excuse me, play USF, lose to they're going to lose to them too. Quite honestly, the U.S. women might lose all 18 conference games. Honestly. And the best game that you want to catch up as you get in there, and we'll talk about this even more, is that Texas Southern Southern game. Yeah, one of those yeah. won't be on TV. No, just, uh, speaking the of Texas Justin, Southern Southern game. Yeah, I mean, no, on yeah, one plus of those will be on, on the inside. Right. Plus the, 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 the top the, the, five the, scores uh, right here at Texas Southern. We just talked about Eric Murray, right. but then on the women's side, Jasmine Parker. Thank you. Mm-hmm. She's and top five in the country, top three, really. Sometimes number the, one. The double hitter has been set. Um, with uh, Prairie View and Texas Southern, both the men and the women's game will both be on on TV. Yeah, it'll be on SWAT uh, television. Uh, on, on the digital. On the right. digital brand. I hope that works. Now, and I'm a and I'm a finish out and I'll be done. But Bleacher reports, uh, Ben Ben Kirchival reported today, uh, his feature col- columnist, Texas Longhorns, Mac Brown has every right to aim for a higher buyout from Texas. It's starting to get ugly because of the money that there's a one a one time payout that's a payment that they can pay out. Our Mac can choose to take the minimum five hundred, boost it, and continue to catch, uh, collect it over the rest of his lifetime as a uh, as he walks this walks this earth. That's a twenty million dollars. Right, and the worst part about it, but it's all it, and this is. Gets back to Doc, what you talk about, the financial part of it. Texas is prepared to pay whatever needs to be done to get that result and move that on. So we'll, we'll talk about that in the next podcast. I haven't got about the Rockets. We'll detail more about the Rockets in the next yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's going to be a cluster. They, um, they're trying to get healthy. They had a bad loss mm-hmm. to the Mavericks on Monday, but they followed up with a solid road win over the Spurs on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Grinded out a victory Thursday night over the Grizzlies. Despite Dwight Howard's foul trouble, James Harden only mm-hmm. made two field goals, went to the line 27 times, made 22 free throws for 27 points. That's on my website, write up the game story for that, HoustonRoundBarReview.com. I'm on Twitter at THEHRReview. I have Houston Round Bar Review YouTube channel, Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram. Thank you very much for listening. But it's a little shorter than usual, but we'll make up for it as we always do. Listeners, we appreciate your support. We're still looking for sponsors. 2014 is right around the corner, and we're going to do big things. 2014, looking forward to your help, helping us spread the word and our knowledge and our opinions on sports and business. As always, as I do, in conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.